0: Hello and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or a former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Today, we have a topic of growing importance in the relationship between employers, and particularly former employers, and employees, and we have a great guest with us, John Allison. John, how you doing today?
1: Good, Randy. Thanks for having me.
0: Perfect. Hey, we hear all the time about businessmen and businesswomen who champion the virtues of our capitalistic society and all of the benefits of competition. Competition between companies encourages them to try to be the best, to offer the best products, or to offer the best services. Capitalism and competition are often considered the bedrocks of the American economy. Now, at the same time, I've always found it a little amusing that the same people that champion the idea of competition often are the very ones who take steps to limit competition, but not by other companies, but rather their former employees. You know, with respect to former employees, I am referring to the idea of an employer that required an employee to sign a contract, usually at the beginning of their employment, that prohibits them from competing with their company if they ever leave the company for whatever reason. Whether they're fired or whether they resign, they're usually long documents, complicated, single-spaced, and employees normally sign them when they're hired without really thinking about its potential impact down the road. These contracts often also limit a former employee's right to solicit the customers of their former employer. You know, when I started practicing law in the 1980s, non-competition agreements were relatively rare. They were usually reserved for the highest level executives of a company. People that actually had access to very sensitive trade secrets and confidential information. And I always thought, and I still think, that that makes some sense. Unfortunately, over the last 30 years, Non-competition agreements and non-solicitation agreements have become much more commonplace. They are so commonplace and result so often in litigation that most court systems around the country set up special procedures that give disputes about non-competition agreements and non-solicitation agreements a higher priority on the court's docket. I used to see one or two non-competition disputes in an entire year, and now we get calls at least once a week from someone who has a dispute with their former employer related to what is called a restrictive covenant. It gets so ridiculous that I once had a case where a large company was trying to stop a minimum wage nail tech from going to a competitor close to her previous location. I think you get the point. I'm not a big fan of non-competition agreements, and it's an important area of the law for employees. And so I wanted to have one of our episodes specifically devoted to restrictive covenants. And I have invited John, who is a local expert, to the show today. John, how's your family doing with the uh, current pandemic?
1: You know, we are doing pretty well. Uh, My wife is working and doing a good job, and we've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and they're reasonably self-sufficient most of the time. And then at times, it sounds like the other room is being destroyed. But uh, overall, I think we're doing pretty good. All right. How about you? Uh, Pretty good. I can't complain.
0: So I'm having a lot of fun. We're very busy, but uh, fun fooling around with these podcasts. And I think it's been good. We'll be back at the office, I'm sure, soon. I'll note that we're recording this during the pandemic. Uh, Hopefully, when people listen to this, uh, things will be more opened up, I suppose, as long as it's safe. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, John, John is a graduate of the University of Michigan, often referred to as the Harvard of the Midwest, and he earned his law degree from the University of Cincinnati College of Law, where he served as the editor-in-chief of the law review, and that's a fairly prestigious position at a law school. John is an experienced litigator who practices in all areas of employment law. You know, discrimination, harassment, retaliation, breach of employment contracts. But he also has a particular interest in non competition and non solicitation agreements and other restrictive covenants. He practices in federal and state trial and appellate courts and in federal and state agencies and commissions. John has achieved numerous successful results for his clients over the years. And he also occasionally lectures on employment law. So, John, let's get to the meat of the show. Why don't you first explain to our audience what types of restrictive covenants are in place between the employer and the employee on occasion?
1: Right. The most typical are non-competes and non-solicits. There's also confidentiality. A non-compete is basically where the employer is saying, after you leave our employment, and it's typically, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, you cannot go to work for who we consider to be a competitor. And a competitor is typically defined somewhere in the agreement uh, much more broadly than it ought to be. But the non compete is saying you cannot even go to work for another company who competes, could be selling the same types of products, providing the same sorts of services so if, as if, if, we do.
0: So if I work for the Soto, a high level, you know, high end restaurant downtown, theoretically they could try to bar me from my next job being at Wendy's. Right. Because they're yeah, in the same be. industry. And I guess Wendy's could be considered a competitor of Soto. Could be. Could be. Right. Okay.
1: And then there are non-solicits. You know, some of these uh agreements don't have a non-compete, they only have non-solicitation language. Most of them have both. Non-solicit is a couple of different forms. One is you cannot solicit our employees to go to another employer whether they're joining you there or you know leaving to go on their own you cannot solicit them to leave our employment and go somewhere else and the more important one usually for employers is you know our clients our customers you cannot after you leave our employment solicit any of our clients or customers to, you know, come over to where you're now working, uh, become a client, a customer of somebody else. So that's the non-solicitation provision.
0: Is that normally reserved for like salespeople? I think of salespeople as the ones who are soliciting clients. I mean, could an engineer also have a non-solicitation, even though they're really not out there selling products, they're just kind of doing work?
1: Well, I, you know, uh, the question, right, is it more appropriate for sales folks than it is for other types of people who different, you know, do different types of job duties? The answer to that question is going to be a yes, but do employers spend a lot of time trying to carve out which of these restrictive covenants apply to who? And I don't think so. I think they're just putting all of the restrictive covenants in all of the agreements that they're distributing to employees. So you're gonna see people come in to the office who have restrictive covenants that it just doesn't make sense why they would have that <laughs> you know in an agreement, it just doesn't.
0: Right. So you're gonna see that. They're not individualized in a sense.
1: They are not individualized. And right.
0: What about you mentioned confidentiality as yeah a confidentiality
1: company. um You know, that gets into whatever our proprietary or trade secret type information is. You cannot uh, disclose that to a third party, whether it be a future employer or anybody. Um, You know, it could be something along the lines of if you are a salesperson, for example, you know, a customer list. These, you know, these are our customers. This is the pricing, you know, on the products that we've sold. To, to this customer, and, and if you were to take that with you and you had it, it would give you a, you know, a competitive advantage. So um, you've got to keep that type of stuff confidential.
0: Well, John, you better keep all of our proprietary information confidential during this podcast, right? Here we are broadcasting to the world all of our intellectual property, our trade secrets, our proprietary information. I don't know, we're partners, so I guess you better watch out Hey, okay, so let's let's take those uh individually. Non-competition agreements. I, I sign one when I come on with a company. I'm fired three or four years later. Is that agreement still enforceable against me, even though they kicked me out of the job?
1: Yeah, most most of these agreements are written in such a way That whether you are terminated or whether you separate voluntarily, uh, they're going to be uh, enforceable. You know, the other thing is, some of them will have language. I think most of them have language where you could have signed the non compete with a predecessor company and it's still valid for a successor. So, um, you know, they're going to be written in such a way typically. Uh, that they are arguably enforceable, and then the bigger question is going to be whether they actually get enforced.
0: So, how how does that work? I mean, uh, do is there is there a federal law or a state law that tells us whether or not these things are
1: enforceable? Right. So, you know, these types of restrictive covenants, and I'm talking about the non compete and the uh, non solicit. Primarily, confidentiality is a little bit different. It just kind of can; it's it's enforceable, you know, forever. Uh, but non-competes and non-solicits, um, you know, in some states they are not uh, going to be enforceable generally at all. Like California, uh, Colorado, I think is another one. Uh, but in most jurisdictions, most states. Um, non competes and non solicits are going to be enforceable uh, as long as they are considered reasonable. And there's a couple of different elements, uh, you know, that that you have to look at to determine whether a non compete, for example, is reasonable. One is time. So after an employee leaves employment. Uh, Typically, what you see as being enforceable is a time period of one to two years. The other element is going to be, you know, geographical radius. So, and that's going to be, whether that's reasonable, is going to be dependent on, you know, the type of job the person does, how important they are to the business, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, give you an example, Um, a chiropractor, let's say a chiropractor wants to leave their employment and or he or she gets terminated. Uh, What would be a reasonable radius to protect the company's interest against any sort of unfair competition? You know, people are not going to, you know, if people live in Cincinnati, they're probably not going to drive to Cleveland to keep seeing the same chiropractor. So do you need a radius of the entire state of Ohio? You're not going to need that. You know, maybe all the way to, I don't know, maybe 15 miles, that sort of thing. So geographical radius is typically the other thing you look at. Um, you know, you might have Three locations. A company might have three locations: one in Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana. Uh, is it reasonable to try to enforce a non-compete against somebody in the state of Washington when, when the only locations the business has are Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky? You know, probably not. That being said, you know there there are going to be certain positions. Uh, if you're a high-level executive and and you've got A product sold all over the world. Uh, You know, my guess would be that the high level executive at Coke can't jump ship and work uh, at Pepsi anywhere.
0: Right. Are there circumstances, though, when a a court will just say, wait a minute, uh, this non compete is not reasonable at all under the circumstances? We're just not going to enforce it.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that. You know, there are certainly uh, occasions where if you are separated, uh, if you're terminated, there are judges who will not enforce non-competes. There are certain positions um, that people might hold where uh, their duties, it just does not call for. There's just no threat. There's no interest that the former employer has to protect. And so a non-compete could be rendered uh, null and void under those circumstances.
0: Okay. So what if I don't have a non-compete? Am am I free to go to another competitor if I want to after I leave a, a company? Can I just jump ship from competitor A to competitor B?
1: There are even if you don't have a non-compete, there you know there are you know things that you want to avoid doing because there are still laws against uh, unfair competition, you know, violation of uh, misappropriating trade secrets. So I kind of go back to the example that I gave earlier. Even if you don't have a non-compete. If you take a thumb drive and download all of the Mm. important customer and pricing information and you leave and you go over to your new employer and you give that thumb drive with all the information to them, uh, you're probably going to be in trouble. I had that situation about five years ago where the person didn't have a non-compete and they thought they could do something like that and didn't work. That
0: sounds like theft. right, Right. That's not a good idea. Not a good idea. I think leave the employer's property at the employer when you leave is a pretty good idea. I guess people try to be a little sneaky about it, but if they get caught, that's a no, no. Exactly. That's not good. So, what do you do if you're caught in that situation where you do have a non compete uh, and you want to go to work for a competitor? What should employee do about it? Is or is there anything they can do about it?
1: Yeah, you know, if you're a current employee and you have a non compete and you're ready to go, you want to jump ship. Yep. you know, I mean, the first thing you want to do is you want to go see an employment lawyer and talk it through because there are a lot of different you know, scenarios that could play out. And, you know, the employee, the employer and the prospective employer all have different considerations. They all have different interests that need to be evaluated. So I often start with when I'm meeting with somebody, look, what do you want to do? Some people say I've got a non-compete, but I'm not sure I really even want to stay in the industry anymore. I say, well, that's easy. For right. most people, you know, most people we start talking and it's okay. What are you looking at doing? Well, I think I want to go work for a client of my current employer or a customer of my current employer. But the way I read the agreement, it looks like that's a technical violation. And I say, well, now, wait a second. Even if it's a technical violation, you know, do you or do you have the ability? If you go to that client to feed your former employer business, is it in their interest to prevent you from doing that? You know, are you on good terms with your current employer? And you know, so you have to talk those things through because there are a number of you know uh, scenarios where even if there is a technical violation, it just may not make any sense. For there to be, you know, some long drawn out litigation over it, it may not be in the employer's interest at all to enforce it, and they may not want to do that. Uh, you know, the more common scenario that I see is where people they know they want to jump ship. The non compete is written very broadly, and they they don't think what they are going to do is really likely to be. Competitive, and I'll say, look, if you jump ship, is uh, you know, is, is your former employer even going to notice where you are? Are they going to lose any business based on what you're doing? I mean, they may not have an incentive to pursue this. And I, you know, I always say, you know, you want to be upfront with the prospective employer, the employer you're going to be joining. They want to see your non-compete and. You know, people jump ship all the time. It's very possible that they've already, you know, uh, hired people from your former employer, and that they have a process, and and all these things can be worked out. I'll give you a quick example, and then and then I'll move on. But I, about fifteen years ago, I represented a, a staffing agency. They're not local, so I'm not giving away anything. But they had an agreement. With the company that they staffed, that said you can't poach our employees. You meaning you can't directly hire uh, the people that were staffing to you. But you know, in practice, it did happen, and did that wind up in in litigation? No, uh, those cases would, would just get settled, and they got settled for you know basically the same amount in every case. And so when that happened, there was kind of an unspoken. Uh, agreement between, uh, you know, the staffing agency and, and the entity that they staffed about what would happen if if uh, if somebody got poached. So,
0: John, I was talking to my neighbor last night and he was asking me to join him today and I said, hey, I, I can't do it. I've got to record a podcast about non-competition agreements with one of my partners And uh, Mike looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? He says, non-competes, those are not enforceable because I have a right to earn a living. And my former employer can't preclude me from going out and feeding my family. He says, so I've signed those in the past, but um, I have a right to earn a living. I mean, is Mike
1: right? Well, he's not wrong, but in practice, you know, non-competes do get enforced in certain situations. And I'll, you know, I'll give you another example, the, uh, you know, the chiropractor example I spoke of earlier, let's say that you've got a, you know, an entity where, you know, two chiropractors are working and they both have a large, you know, uh, clientele and the one chiropractor decides. He's going to go to work right across the street. Well, Mm -hmm. all of his clients are going to follow, right? I mean, you're just going to keep seeing the same chiropractor. And so, you know, does the employer in that situation have a protectable interest, you know, where it's reasonable to say you can't just go right across the street? You can go, you know, uh, to Dayton for a year and then come back, but you can't just go right across the street and take half of our business. Yeah. non-competes can be enforced, but, uh, but I do think as a practical matter, um, they are much more prevalent than than they ought to be. And they're distributed to employees who just, they, you know, they have no business, you know, having a non-compete apply to them.
0: Well, you mentioned chiropractors. What about doctors? I mean, don't the, the patients have a right to go see whoever they want to go see? So isn't it depriving uh, the patient of some right if, if Dr. A leaves a medical practice and sets up shop down the street and the medical practice enforces that non-compete, all of a sudden the patients can't see their doctor? that seems kind of crazy,
1: right. No, that would be the argument, right. I mean, you you have to so it, it cannot, you know, go against the public interest, right? So the argument would be, look, Uh we get to see the doctor who we want to see. that's right,
0: yeah. And um are restrictive covenants enforced even if I'm fired from the job As I could see it if you resign you go work for a competitor the competitor gets some great advantage by you moving over to them but how about the situation where somebody's fired
1: yeah you know uh they typ- these non competes typically are written that they can be enforced even if the person is is terminated now in practice uh I think they're much less likely to be enforced. Some judges won't enforce them. Additionally, you know, I think most employers are more likely to, uh, you know, negotiate the non-compete down, uh, you know, not all employers, uh, you know, I, I'll give you another example. I I uh, uh, was retained by, and this is about 10 years ago, and I remember this because I was out of town when I was trying to negotiate uh, negotiated over the phone, but we had been retained over the termination, and the guy also had a non-compete, and we were trying to, you know, uh, get him some severance. And the lawyer who I was talking to uh, said, "Look, I mean, this guy's the worst salesman ever. All of his clients are complaining, and I'm going to give you or all the customers." about how non-responsive he is and he doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm going to, I'm going to send you all that information. And and so she sent it to me and I'm thinking, yeah, this is a mountain of information about how bad this guy is. Okay. Well, may, you know, maybe we can't get a bunch of severance, but, but why don't you let him out of the non-compete? Well, no, we don't want to do that. And I said, well, wait a second. You, 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 don't you want this guy working for the competitor? <laughs> right. I mean, like if they hire him and he's as bad, you know, dead silence, <laughs> so sometimes employers do not do uh, what is rational, but I would say, you know, typically you want to think about what is the employer likely to do. Um, you know, if I if I leave or if I'm terminated, it's kind of the same set of factors that that they're going to be looking at. You know, whether an employer. Wants to try to enforce a non compete. I think it's the same sort of factors. One, you know, they're going to have to, if they want to pursue it, they're going to have to hire an attorney and pay that attorney money to challenge, you know, you going to work somewhere else. Uh, You know, there's risk that they could lose, right, if they challenge you in court. And, you know, we might talk about this later. Uh, during the podcast, but I know that um, you know uh, one reason, one use of non-competes is to scare employees from leaving. So you can, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, give them a, a pay increase. You can keep their wages down because you know they're afraid to jump ship. They know they can't. Well, if your goal in having everybody sign a non-compete is to keep them from jumping ship because they're afraid to do so, you certainly wouldn't want to lose a case. Um, and have a judge rule that uh, the non-compete is unenforceable. You know, another issue is, um, you know, if you have, an you know, a, an employee jump ship and go to work for a competitor and you lose a few of your clients, right, because typically what I, what I see is most employers, when they're looking at this rationally, if they get hit hard in the pocketbook, they lose a lot of business lot, then they'll challenge it. But if it's not, if, if they don't lose that much and there's a technical violation, are they going to pursue it? You, you know, usually not. And, and they're certainly not going to get the clients that they lost back. They're not mm-hmm. going to reach out and say, hey, we sued this guy and we sued his, his new employer. So you, you need to come back to us. Well, people don't want to be told who they're going to do business with. So they're not getting those clients back. So you know the employer has a lot to consider before they want to pursue litigation against an employee who's left and is is arguably in a competitive uh, position, and they need to weigh all those factors before you know you might see you know a threatening letter, but are they really going to you know take the step of litigating? Are they going to be unwilling to negotiate some sort of reasonable? Uh, you know, resolution, you know, they've got a lot to consider before they, before they go, you know, go to the mat and go all the way to the end.
0: Right. So it makes sense for an employee to know how enforceable non-compete is, but they're not always enforced. I mean, but you should know what the possibilities are if you do leave your employer. Because the employer has to make a business decision, whether it makes sense to try to mess around with the employee who's already left.
1: That's right. And the new employer has to make the same sort of analysis. And you will see, you know, uh, there are some employers who um, are willing to take it to the mat. They are willing to keep the new employee employed. They're willing to pay, you know, some attorney fees to defend against uh litigation they're willing to do all those things um and so those are considerations that the new employer has to make you know how much how much do they want to mess around with it because there are some who and I'll give you another example this is about 20 years ago I had it's one of the first cases that I had might have been the first non compete case I had long term employee and he was terminated. His non-compete said that it could only be enforced if he left voluntarily, but the former employer pursued it anyway. They sent a threatening (laughs) letter to the new employer and to the employee, and that case would have been won by the employee. It would ultimately have been won, but it was going to cost so much that the new employer let him go, because they didn't want to defend against the lawsuit, even though on a, you know. So, you, you're, a-
0: so your client came after this guy, even though they really had no right to do so. And it worked.
1: Right. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't my client, but yeah.
0: Well, you represented somebody. Oh, you were somebody else's really? client in the firm, but you were working on it.
1: Well, we represented, We repre- I mean, I was on the defense side back then, but oddly enough, we were representing the individual because what had happened was the new employer wanted him to go get separate counsel just in case there was some sort of conflict there. That's getting into the weeds a bit, but we were representing the employee, oddly enough, at that time too.
0: Yeah, that was back when you had not yet matured. Is that correct? You used to represent, I think, employers and then at some point in your life, I always say life is a maturation process. You found religion and started representing employees. Is that
1: correct? Right. Right. Okay.
0: So, John, um, you know, some people listening to this might be starting a new job and they're signing all sorts of, you know, health enrollment forms, all this other stuff. And then the employer slips the non-compete in front of them. Uh, are these non-competes typically negotiable at the front end?
1: Yeah, for most people, no, you know that because it's it's the employer can use it as a condition of employment, meaning if we're hiring you, you have to sign this, or we're not going to hire you. Now, you know, higher level executives, that sort of thing, where they've got an actual employment contract, they you know they're going to have you know a good chance of negotiating the non compete. They might be able to. You know, lower the time frame, or make sure that they have. Hey, if I'm if I'm going to have to agree to a non compete of a year, well, then you're going to pay me severance of a year. Um, you know, that sort of negotiation. But for for the vast majority of people, you're not going to be able to negotiate it on the front end, only on the back end.
0: And how about during your employment? Can the employer come to you? Let's say I've been working for a company for five or six years, and some hotshot lawyer within the company says, hey, we ought to have everybody sign non-competes. Can they get away with that? Even though you've already started the job, can they all of a sudden come in and ask you to sign a non-compete?
1: They can come in and ask you to sign a non-compete. Continued employment is considered, uh, consideration is the applicable term, but yes, they can ask you to sign a non-compete after you've started. uh, And all they have to do is, say you get to keep working here. Uh, They can do that. Now, I have had a number of people come in over the years, I was thinking about this the other day, and say, hey, I got this non-compete, do I really need to sign it? And I would tell them, they can make you sign it. But I have seen a number of examples where the employer kind of forgets about it. And And that may be along the lines of, You know, they decided that they got some advice that they're just going to distribute, you know, non-competes to everybody. But then they didn't really pay that much attention to it because they didn't care that much about it. So, you know, I've I've seen a number of people uh, end up just not signing them, and nobody ever followed up. I've also (laughs) seen, and you know, I've also seen scenarios where, uh, you know, somebody's a really productive salesperson. They're given a non-compete and they say, you know what? I'm not signing this. I'm, if you want me to stay here, I'm not signing. And, and they ha- they were a good enough employee. They had enough leverage. And I told them, look, if they make you sign it, I mean, you're going to have a choice to make. But, they, you know, the, the company gave in. Uh, but that's most people aren't going to be able to pull that off.
0: So if I'm an employee, I have a non-compete. I go to a competitor, you know, arguably in violation of non-compete. How do these things play out in court? I mean, is this a two, three-year process? I mentioned earlier that they're given some sort of priority on most court dockets.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, assuming it goes to court, because that's the question you're asking and, and the, the negotiations don't work, that sort of thing, uh, if there are negotiations, there are two types of relief that an employer could get. The first is injunctive, which, is, which means the, they're able to convince a court that they're going to be harmed and the court has to uh, force the new employer to terminate uh, the employee. So it's basically rushing in the court and getting the court to determine that the person can no longer work there. Um, and obviously that, you know, if, if you're, if you're, that happens pretty quickly, that's called getting a temporary restraining order, you know, within, within a few weeks, you know, typically that, um, that part of the process happens. Now, let's say, uh, you know, the, the court does not, and and when that happens, usually there is some sort of resolution at that point, because the big the, the biggest piece of the battle has been won. The person has been prevented from continuing working, and and then the rest of it uh, typically gets resolved. You know, you also have scenarios where uh, the court says, no, I don't think that the former employer has established that there's going to be this irreparable harm, and I'm going to allow the person to keep working. But then, you know, it, the, the the litigation can continue on, uh, because you know the other um, element of relief is is damages, and potentially the employer could could prove uh damages the damages would be uh you know the money earned by the new company or the new employee you know from the the business that has been taken um and that you know that could be. You know, sometime down the road, well, when that determination is made, but but it, it you know it seems to me that the the bigger piece of it is whether or not that injunctive relief is is granted.
0: Yes, yeah, so, so most cases get resolved rather early in litigation. Is is that right? And so it's not that expensive uh, for the employee, I guess, to try to be able to work for the new company. I mean you John you can only bill so many hours in a short period of time isn't that
1: accurate? Yep. That's I mean, right. I mean it's still a lot of money. A lot of money to your average person, but oh I mean yeah. it,
0: it I mean it can be it, it, several thousands of dollars, but you're not talking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars or right. anything like that. that's what people fear I think.
1: Right. Right. No that's right. I mean it, it it if you know most of these cases there are some negotiations but if but if there are not and you're going through that you know TRO uh hearing yeah i mean if the employee is 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 prevented from working you're going to get a pretty quick resolution
0: yeah it's so wrong on so many levels i i i really have a personal distaste for non competition agreements so yeah. john uh, you have a uh, associates working for you and employees, do you make them all sign uh, non-competes and restrictive covenants and non-solicitations and things like that?
1: Yes, all of them.
0: <laughs> no, you don't. Do you? No. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I mean, that's the American way, isn't it? Let's, let's keep, the,
1: keep the man down, right? That's right. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you another story real quick, and I know we're, we're getting short on time, but I was deposing somebody a couple of years ago, and, it, and, and the whole case had gotten started because uh, the person who had come in to retain us was trying to get out of a non-compete and, and just couldn't even get a response. And we get into a deposition a couple of years later, and the owner of the company said that philosophically he didn't believe in non-competes and and, <laughs> and would never enforce them. And I I just couldn't believe it but to get that testimony after the way that whole process had started.
0: Yeah, and that owner had spent probably paid his lawyer a lot of money right. to get to that result. And they should have resolved it pretty quickly on the front end, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because the, the 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 what brought um this person into my office was they had a specific job opportunity and they were trying but the the prospective employer didn't want to hire him unless it got some sense of, of security that they weren't gonna get pursued and couldn't get it, couldn't get anybody to respond.
0: Wow. Well, John, hey, that's a lot to cover today. It's one of my favorite topics uh i encourage anyone to have a non compete reviewed try to get out of them if at all possible go out there and earn a living most companies can survive you know nobody's nobody's indispensable so if you leave one job and go to a competitor it's not going to be that big of a deal for your former employer so i encourage anybody to look take a good close look at these things get some advice and hopefully uh, try to beat them. Uh, and John, I'm sure we could talk about this all, all, all day long. You've had a lot of non-compete cases. I've had several. But we have to close the show so that people can go look and see if they did sign a non-compete with their current employer. A lot of people sign these and kind of forget about them. So I imagine people listening to this right now are kind of looking in their desk drawers and on their computer and thinking, Wow, did I even sign a non-compete? I was shoved a lot of documents in front of me when I came on board. So let's close the show. Let them do that. And I hope the listeners have found this to be very informative. And John, thanks for taking the time to join us today. This is John Allison, folks, our special guest. Thank you, Randy. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking. The podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Turkle that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread for recognition as well as cash for astonishment rather than apathy in short for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying unquote let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefit see you next time on freaking out about work And please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com. And freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone.